0: If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Uh, In our study of the book of Romans, we find ourselves in a section where Paul is acting as a prosecuting attorney because he wants to show that the whole world apart from Jesus Christ is condemned by God. The theme of the book of Romans is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which Paul knows that before a person will be open to the gospel, they must first need to see themselves as sinners. I mean, before they're going to be open to receiving a Savior, uh, that's the first step. He knows that. He's a seasoned evangelist. And so he starts in verse 18 to prove that the pagan is condemned before God before then moving to the moralist, chapter 2, and finally the religionist in chapter 3. And so he starts in verse 18 to prove that the the pagan uh, is condemned. And uh, this will, at least as he moves into the moralist and the religionist, Uh, This will lead to Paul's final charge in his, you know, closing argument. He's the prosecuting attorney uh, that the whole world apart from Christ is guilty before God for all have sinned and fall short of God's perfect, holy standard. Now, to many, this seems blatantly unfair that God would judge and send people to hell who have never heard the gospel. Well, in verses 19 and 20 of Romans 1, Paul answers that accusation for us. Verse 19, because what may be be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, even people who have never had the gospel preached to them have had the knowledge of God revealed to them how through the creation. And we use this truth to springboard into a parallel study on how we can know exactly how the creation testifies to the existence of God. So a couple weeks ago, we started looking at three reasons or proofs or arguments from creation that proves the existence of God. Now, you might be thinking, but I don't need to be have the existence of God proved to me. I believe it. But there's a lot of folks out there you're going you're to run into that need a little um, enlightenment we do it not for us we're believers we do it so that we can study to show ourselves approved unto god a workman who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth we just need to understand we can, so we can be better evangelists so we started looking at um, three reasons uh, from the creation that proves the existence of god the cosmological reason The teleological reason and then the moral reason. Now, last week we finished looking at the first two reasons, and tonight we want to look at the third reason we know that how the creation declares or proves the existence of God. And that's the moral reason. The moral reason. Look again at verse 19, where Paul says, Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. And then if you look over at Romans 2, verses 14 and 15. For when Gentiles, unbelievers, who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the written law of Moses, is the idea, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts. What Paul is talking about here, guys, is morality. Morality. Where did morality come from? This innate sense of right and wrong. If we're just the result of chemical processes, chemicals are amoral and can't produce morals. Now, the evolutionists can't explain this, but the creationists can. Our God is a moral God. Our God is a moral God. He is a God who declared certain behaviors good and others evil according to his righteous standard. And then he placed into the heart of man, mankind, uh, whom he made in his image, this innate sense of right and wrong we call morality. This innate sense of right and wrong which all people possess gives testimony to God's existence. C.S. Lewis said, and I quote, every prescription has a prescriber. Every moral law has a moral lawgiver. There is a universal moral law, therefore there must be a universal lawgiver." end quote. Um, in a world of moral relativism that we find ourselves these days living in, in a world of moral relativism where people are doing pretty much whatever seems right in their own eyes, you can still prove, (laughs) if you know how to do it, you can still prove moral absolutes exist. Norm Geisler said that his favorite person to debate was a Jewish atheist, one who didn't believe in moral absolutes. He said, and I'm quoting, Every Jew knows the Holocaust happened, and every one of them believes that it is morally wrong, absolutely wrong, for anyone to practice genocide. Atheists, agnostics, and antagonists towards Christianity can talk about moral relativism all they want and how there is no absolute right or wrong until you talk about someone like Adolf Hitler. And suddenly they realize that they do believe some things are absolutely wrong, end quote. Alan Bloom said he used to use this one argument with his university students, University of Chicago students, who didn't believe there were any absolute morals. So he asked them, he said, if you were part of the British protectorate in India, going back some years, and they were using the custom back in the rural areas where where when a husband died, the living wife was to be cremated with him and you were in charge would you allow them to cremate the wife just because the husband died? Now, in that culture in those days, now Britain was in control of India before they pulled out. Um, but in, those, in that culture, when a husband died, the wife was expected to join him in the afterlife. So when they put his body on the funeral pyre and lit it, she was expected to run and jump on the pyre and be burned to death uh, because she needed to be in the afterlife with her husband. And uh, that was the question to these students who didn't believe in moral absolutes. Is that right? Would you, would you allow that? The answers were amazing. Well, the, the British shouldn't have been in India. Well, that's not the qu- answer to the question, right? And the point was, there's something intrinsic in all of us that says something like that is wrong. You don't kill the living wife because the husband died. Now, atheists, will often jump on this and say, there can't be an absolutely perfect, absolutely righteous, just God. Why? Because look at all the evil and injustice in the world. That's the classic rebuttal when you say that God exists and he's a moral, righteous God. Well, there can't because there's evil in the world. I love the C.S. Lewis, the former Oxford atheist, said, and I quote, I used to think that way too, that injustice in the world proves there cannot be a God. Until I started to think, that's what you have to do, think. (laughs) What does injustice mean? It means not to be just. So I must have understood what justice was. And if I felt something was absolutely unjust, then I must have been presupposing a standard of absolute justice by which I measured this world to be unjust. In effect, I was positing an absolutely perfect moral standard God in order to argue against God. End quote. In other words, where did morals come from? Innately, we know what's right and wrong. Well, how did that happen if we're just genetic accidents over millions of years, right? And we evolved into the people we are today. Where did this? In the whole world, has it? Every living person, I'm not saying they always live up to it, every living person knows what's right and wrong. In no culture is adultery celebrated. In no culture is murder celebrated. Now, vigilantism in some cultures that are based on honor, okay, not that we would necessarily agree with all that, but just what we would call first-degree murder, no culture celebrates that. But listen, often people don't believe in God not because they don't like the concept of God. Uh, no, the real reason they don't believe in, in God, and I'm thinking primarily the God of the Bible. I mean, there's folks that will believe in Mother Earth, uh, you know, the Mother Earth goddess Gaia. Uh, there's a lot of folks that have different views. But mostly the reason that people don't believe in the God of, of the Bible is because they don't want to be subject to his moral laws, nor the judgment upon those who violate them. So they do away with God again, primarily the God of the Bible, and become atheists. Now, you'll never get most atheists to acknowledge this, that they're atheists because they just don't want to live the way God wants them to live. They always have some highly highly intellectual reason. They've done all the studies, and they make you think that they really studied this subject long and hard. They haven't. I heard one honest atheist on the radio years ago, and he actually admitted I heard him with my own ears. The reason I'm an atheist is because... I don't want to live according to any God's morals. I want to do my own thing. I thought, well, at least he's honest. But that leaves them with a problem. Those who become atheists, for whatever reason, it leaves them with a big problem. How did everything get here? They need an explanation for the existence of the universe. So they invented an alternative belief system that replaced creationism. Now, that's, of course, the belief that in the beginning, God created everything, right? creationism built on the belief that there is a god who made all things but see they reject god the god of the bible so they have to come up with an alternative belief system for how everything got here and the system that they created is called naturalism 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 is the belief that everything in the universe including the earth and all life on the earth came about through natural processes you know the big bang evolution without any supernatural input by a deity and hey, let's make no mistake about it what they're talking about is the god of the bible okay one pastor and author put it this way "Said and i quote naturalism is the reigning ideology of our day embraced by most of the intellectuals scientists educators politicians and judges not only in our country but around the world A naturalist believes that God only exists as a fantasy in the minds of religious non-intellectuals. That's what they think about us. In our universities, naturalism is the virtually unquestioned assumption upon which all matters of life are based. Of course, naturalism as a belief system inevitably, inevitably leads to the worship of the natural world. God has made us worshipers. The Bible says that. God has made us worshipers by nature. Now, he didn't make us to worship nature. He made us worshipers by nature. Though we are driven to worship someone, or if not the right one, something. We just are worshipers by nature. So when a lot of the world has turned away from God and has turned to naturalism, they worship nature. Nature becomes their God. But worshiping the natural world is nothing new. Paul talked about it in those who practiced it in Romans 1, verses 22 to 25. I'm going to read it to you on the NLT, second edition. Talking about those who reject God, those who, you know, refuse to give him glory and honor, even though the creation declares his existence. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere men and birds and animals and reptiles. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. We'll talk more about that next time because that's exactly where we're headed after this little three-part series. But guys, let me say this. Naturalism is the foundation... Of the theory of evolution. It's what evolution is built upon. The men who gave us the theory of, evolu- of evolution, Erasmus Darwin, who was Charles Darwin's grandfather, Charles Lyell, and Charles Darwin himself were men who had a definite agenda. Erasmus Darwin and Charles Lyell were products of the Enlightenment, which was a movement that tried to throw off the yoke of religion and replace it with science as man's god. To accomplish this objective, they had to find a way to cause people to doubt the Bible, primarily the book of Genesis. And so these men, along with the help of others, invented the theory of evolution. We'll talk about more about this more in, in a little bit. But let me just say this. These men uh, invented the theory of evolution primarily to do away with God as the supreme lawgiver of the universe because they didn't want God interfering in their lives. They didn't want to be accountable to him. They didn't want to be bound by his moral laws or subject to the coming judgment for breaking his laws. And so they came up with an alternative explanation for the existence of everything, an explanation that did away with God. Charles Darwin, in his own words, said that he rejected Christianity because he couldn't accept the idea of a God who punished sin and sent men to hell if they didn't repent. He had a lot of family that he knew were not Godly people weren't Christians. Uh, I actually heard a a longer quote where he said that he was worried about his family. He didn't want to think about them going to hell. They weren't Christians, they weren't repenting. So, that along with some other uh, reasons, uh, he had to invent a system whereby everything was explained apart from God. He called this idea that God punishes sinners in hell if they don't repent a damnable doctrine. I'm assuming that was a... No No pun was intended. I mean, the, the damnable doctrine of hell if you don't repent is a damnable doctrine. I get it. But one pastor put it this way. He said, and I quote, Evolution was invented to kill the God of the Bible. Not because evolutionists and materialists and naturalists didn't like God as as creator, but because they didn't want God as judge. Evolution was invented in order to kill the God of the Bible, to eliminate the lawgiver, to eliminate his divine immutable law, the binding standard for human thought and conduct. Evolution was invented to do away with universal morality and universal guilt and universal accountability. Evolution was invented to eliminate the judge and leave people free to do whatever they want without guilt and without conscience. Well, Of course, that's true because evolution is amoral. It's amoral. So by rejecting the God of the Bible, who is a moral God, and replacing him with the God of naturalism. By the way, what is the God of naturalism? Chance. Naturalists believe that chance plus time equals everything. So if you're a naturalist, evolutionist, chance is your God. Chance plus time. And by the way, if we had time, I would explain to you why chance doesn't even exist. It's a, it's a name we've given a concept, but it's not real. By replacing the God of the Bible, who created all things, they reject that, with the God of naturalism, where everything came about all by itself, chance, raw luck, I guess, I don't know. They, they believed that by doing this, man was now free to live any way he wanted to live. You kill God... You can live any way you want, or at least that's what people think. But many have enthusiastically embraced evolution in their desire to live unrighteously. Even though Paul in Romans 1, verses 18 to, 30, uh, to 25, uh, tells us that God exists, of course, that's what we're studying. He exists and he is a moral God, but if there is no God, then there's no such thing as morals, which means there is no absolute right or wrong. So man got rid of God to get rid of God's moral laws. But in so doing, he didn't realize that to do so would bring upon the human race some very serious consequences, morally speaking. If naturalistic evolution is right, and man hasn't been made in God's image because God doesn't exist, then man is no better than any other animal that has evolved on this planet. And so naturalism has given rise to organizations like PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, whose founder and president, Ingrid Newkirk, made this infamous statement some years ago. I'm quoting her, a rat is as a pig, is as a dog, is as a boy. In other words, in her way of thinking and many others like her, There is no difference between people and animals. We're all just animals. Different species of animals, but we're all just animals, and all of us have equal value. A few years ago, I read about an animal rights group that said that killing chickens, listen, was equal to the Holocaust. They said it was no different from the Nazis killing the Jews. This kind of idiocy results when people don't believe man has been made in the image of God but is simply the product of evolution just like any other animal upon the earth which of course means he really has no purpose for existing and has no eternal destiny but the implications guys of evolutionary thought go far beyond a group of animal rights nuts For example, Karl Marx sought to dedicate Das Kapital to Charles Darwin. Adolf Hitler was a committed evolutionist and used the theory of evolution as the justification for his personal vision of a super race that would grow stronger by wiping out those who were genetically inferior and less evolved. You see, the principle that undergirds all evolution is survival of the fittest. The strong killing off the weak, which strengthens the species, the strongest of the species, guaranteeing their survival or its survival. Evolutionists call this natural selection. The strong preying on the weak, because that allows the strong to get even stronger, guarantees the survival of the strongest species. Hitler believed he was just applying a form of natural selection to mankind in an effort to hasten the process of evolution and genetically engineer a super race of people. Even evolutionists understand there's a problem here. There's a problem. Uh, George Marsden, who is an evolutionist, said, and I quote, Creation scientists are correct in perceiving that in modern culture evolution often involves far more than biology. The basic ideologies of our civilization, including its entire moral structure, are at risk. Evolution is sometimes the key mythological element in a philosophy that functions as a virtual religion. Well, it's been a few years since that statement was made. And now one author, who understands the issue, said, and I quote, Naturalism has now replaced Christianity as the main religion of the Western world, and evolution has become naturalism's principal dogma, end quote. It is a religion. And so theism, leading to creation, the belief thereof, and naturalism, leading to the belief in evolution, are competing belief systems. Make no mistake about it. You can't just debate an evolutionist you see how angry they become you're challenging their religion but creation and evolution are competing belief systems and lead to two entirely different ways of looking at and living a person's life very very different the bible says that god made man psalm 8 verse 5 god made man a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory right but most of the western world academia Especially has rejected the creator and has embraced evolution, which teaches that man evolved a little higher than the apes. Now, think about that difference. You can't get much more of a difference. God said in his word, I made you a, to mankind, I made you a little lower than the angels. Evolutionists say, no, no, we evolved a little higher than the apes. But you see, if you remove God slash creation from society, and substitute naturalism slash as God, you remove the uniqueness of man from the animal kingdom. You don't have to turn there, but Genesis 1, verses 24 to 28, talk about how man is unique from the animal kingdom. Both man and animals were made on the sixth day, but man was the final creative act of God, and God made man in his own image. He didn't make animals in his own image after his own likeness. We are unique. Again, the Bible says that man was made in the image of God, but if there is no God, well, then man couldn't have been made in his image. And if mankind wasn't made in the image of God, then there is no difference, morally speaking, between man and any other animal that has evolved on this planet, which is the very thing our public schools teach our children from the time they enter kindergarten. But here's the problem. If we teach our kids they came from animals, guess what? It shouldn't surprise us when they act like animals. We see kids growing up in our society without God today, and without morals. The public schools have taken down the Ten Commandments. They used to be on the walls of every public school. In the early days, the public schools were the Christian schools because we were still a nation under God. That's changed. So we see kids today growing up in society without God and without morals, a society which now places little or no value on human life. We see gangs that have taken over the inner city, have turned it into a war zone, battling each other over drug turf and killing innocent people who get caught in the crossfire, many of them children. But we see kids bringing guns into their schools, and wiping out classmates, why? Because they didn't like the way somebody talked to them on social media. They disrespected me. They said this or that. Or they talked about me to somebody else on social media. And that gives them the right in their minds to come to school with a gun and blow these kids away, their enemies. Now, you if you misgender a trans kid, a lot of them become very furious and angry and want to take out retaliation against you. We look at these stories on the news every night and we shake our heads as if we don't know what's going on. What's happened? I'll tell you what's happened. Back in the early 1960s, God was taken out of public school. So was prayer. And from that time, there has been a slow devolving of society. Now, evolution has replaced creation naturalism has replaced the god of the bible i mean what do we expect from the time these kids started public school they have been taught a humanistic naturalistic worldview a philosophy of life void of god where they evolved from animals a worldview where everything came about by chance and genetic accidents and where there is no purpose for life no life to come and no god to answer to And so what do we expect when they act as if human life doesn't mean anything? You see, any philosophy of life that's based on the idea of survival of the fittest, the strong eliminating the weak as a basis, as the basic means of evolving from lower forms of life to higher, more complex forms, I mean, if that's the ideology that's governing man's thinking and shaping his worldview, guess what? is going to produce a lot of evil consequences, and it has. And it has. If evolution is true, and we are just animals that have evolved higher than any other animal in the animal kingdom, then why should we bother helping the weak, the handicapped, the elderly, and the sick? I mean, let's do away with them. Let's embrace infanticide and euthanasia. I mean, why keep these people around if they're just keeping the rest of us down by draining the resources needed to strengthen the genetically superior. I mean, if evolution is true, guess what? Hitler was right. Again, Hitler was a big fan of Charles Darwin and a big proponent of evolution and sought to hasten the process of evolution on human beings and bring about a master race by eliminating or exterminating all those whom he considered genetically inferior and less evolved. Again, was the strong killing the weak his version of natural selection and who could have argued with him if evolution is right but of course it isn't true it isn't right and here's why first of all more and more scientists are being forced to admit based on advancements in genetics that evolution is impossible i told you last week when this was first proposed scientists believed that the that the cell in a human being was no more complex than a ping pong ball so you can have a lot of wrong beliefs if your understanding of genetics is that misguided but we have improved scientists i should say have been studying with the development of electron microscopes and other techniques that allow them to really get into the cell and see what's going on, study the DNA chromosomes. Now, scientists realize the cell, the human cell, any cell, but the human cell is incredibly complex. And they are being forced to admit based on the advancements in genet- genetics that evolution is impossible. It's impossible because the genetic code in each cell's DNA will never produce anything else. In other words, the DNA code in a lizard's DNA is never going to rewrite itself to produce a chicken. Well, that's where mutations come in, the scientists say. Mutations are almost always harmful. Almost always harmful. See, evolutionists will tell you, well, yes, but the mutations in the cells cause it to be rewritten and Lizards can then become birds and whatever. Many scientists are being forced to admit that's not true. That's that's ridiculous. You know what Charles Darwin did? And I think evolutionists still do this today. They tried to base evolution. They tried to prove it based on microevolution. There is microevolution and macroevolution. What is microevolution? Changes within a kind adaptations God allowed for that that's why you have different species of birds Uh, I think Darwin went to the Galapagos Islands studied the finches there and recognized that some of the finches had longer beaks it helped them get food others had shorter beaks that didn't need that adaptation to eat so he used What he saw with regard to microevolution changes within a kind and said, well, this proves macroevolution. What is macroevolution? Where one kind can become another kind. A lizard can become a bird and so on. God allowed for adaptations in a kind. So birds can, can, their beaks can become, you know, different sizes and lengths. Dogs can have... Some species of dogs can have long hair. Uh, same species can have short hair, depending where in the country these dogs live. If it's a hot climate, tend- the tendency is to have the shorter hair dogs of that species uh, survive because it's cooler. You have these same dogs in the uh, colder areas of our country or in Canada. Well, the dogs with the longest coats... Tend to survive because they need it for warmth, right? But let me just tell you this: that's microevolution, that's that's adaptation, that's you know, changes within a kind. And they will point, these evolutions will point to how you can have microevolution that proves macroevolution. Here's the thing: think about this. Say you have a species of dog that has the genetic ability to produce long hair and short hair. Again, Depending on where this dog lives, this you know, uh, depends on whether the longest hair dogs of that species survive, or if it's a hot climate, the shortest hair species of that same dog survive. Let's say for the sake of argument, you take all the, spe- all the dogs in this one species to a very cold climate. Over time, the, the, the species of dog will adapt and will only produce dogs with longer coats. All the other genes will be you know, uh, naturally selected out because in this climate, dogs with the longest coats, the ones that have the most protection from the cold, survive. But this is not an um, example of evolution. It's an example of devolution. Devolution, we say, well, what do you mean? Whereas this species of dog originally had the genetic ability to produce both long and short-haired dogs, now, because it's adapted to its climate, it can only produce long-haired dogs. The genes that allowed it to have shorter hair, too, have been taken out. The animal hasn't gotten more evolved. It's gotten less evolved. It can't do some things it used to be able to do, such as produce shorter, shorter Uh, coats i hope that's not confusing but this this idea that they 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 use these examples to prove something and it's not even a good example all you got to do is know a little bit about what's going on and what they're saying but but forget the animals for a minute let's come at it from a different angle let's just look primarily at people people we're talking about morals Where did morals come from? Where did compassion and mercy come from? Evolutionists would say, well, they evolved as we evolved. But evolution doesn't produce compassion and mercy because evolution is based on the survival of the fittest, the strong preying upon the weak. If the strong start showing mercy to the weak, it would eliminate the very foundation upon which evolution is built, which is natural selection. If that is, if evolution was true. But let me just ask you this. Why is it when, we'll say, a tsunami or an earthquake or some kind of a plague hits some third world country? Why is it that the rest of the world, and I'm talking about the Western world and that part of the world built on Judeo-Christian values, when one part of the world, a third world country, talk about the world as an entity, you would think that the weakest countries in the world, they should die off. They're sapping the resources from the strongest, like America and so on. If, if that's the thinking, if that's that's an evolutionary way of thinking. But why is it when an earthquake hits or a tsunami or, uh, or some kind of a plague hits a third world country, why is it that the rest of the Western world mobilizes and sends workers and food and doctors and medical people and medicines to that region? Why is that? Or, why do we worry about a little baby born three or four months premature and spend millions of dollars to save that child's life? I mean, isn't it a tremendous drain on our resources? Why not just let the child die? I mean, they're not a productive member of society yet. Why not just let natural selection take over and eliminate the weak? And the same goes for the elderly who are no longer productive members of society, and sap valuable resources from the 18- to 50-year group, the ones that are producing, the ones that are valuable, productive members of that society. Why do we care about the elderly? They've outlived their usefulness. We do it because life is precious. All life. All life. And why do we believe that life is precious? Because we have been made in the image of God who is a merciful and compassionate God, who created us and put the sanctity of life in our hearts. In other words, God coded into our DNA his morals. His morals. You can't explain it either way. Oh, I'm sure you'll get an explanation from some evolutionist. I'm just telling you, this is the only thing that makes sense. Folks, there is no mercy and compassion in the jungle. There's only survival of the fittest. Man is unique from the animal kingdom because our God, our creator, made us unique. He made us in his image after his likeness. Only man has the capacity to reflect the glory of his creator in the way of love and compassion and mercy and kindness. Again, the only explanation for morality is the existence of God who is a moral God and who made man in his image and put his moral laws into our hearts that's what paul meant when he said you got unbelievers who who don't know god they don't have the written law of god like the jews had and yet they still know what's right and wrong how is that possible because they were made in the image of god and god wrote his laws on their hearts they know innately what's right and wrong we'll talk more about that when we get to chapter two that's also a very powerful uh, reason why God is justified in judging the ungodly. The creation, the outward testimony of the creation declares God's existence. The inward testimony of the conscience declares God's existence. And to reject God, God will hold you accountable on the day of judgment for violating and rejecting his existence. When the creation declares it, your conscience it uh, shows it. these are things God's going to hold man accountable for if he or she dies without receiving Christ or dies as an atheist. Guys, again, creationism is the only belief system that answers the question of man's origin and makes sense of life. Hopefully now, hopefully now you see how important the first verse in the Bible is. It doesn't just introduce the book of Genesis. Oh, no. It becomes the foundation for understanding life in general upon this planet and how it should be lived. Without the first verse in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Life is nothing more than an exercise in futility. In other words, life without God is a meaningless life not worth living. And a lot of atheists have come to that point. That's why suicide is so high among those who have really rejected God. Because what are you left with? Everything happened by a big explosion 18 billion years ago, and we're here because of countless genetic accidents and mutations. We have no purpose for existing. We have no life beyond this life. No wonder people who really believe that commit suicide. They have nothing to live for. There's no hope. There's no reason or purpose for existing. That's why, when a person who is at that place, and that is a crossroads, many people have gotten to that place and have come to a point where they realize they have to decide right now. And if they get their hands in a Bible and open it up to Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, their whole worldview. Has changed years ago i heard a story about a um he was a top guru in india okay with the belief system they have there they have several but his dad was like uh like the top swami or you know spiritual leader of the nation so he was born into this but as a young man he started wrestling with the emptiness of the whole system of karma and this. I mean, just, um, and he got to, and he had a, God's so good. He had a servant who happened to be a Christian who was witnessing to him. Well, of course, the devil doesn't want a Christian witnessing to you, especially if you're a high up in the you know, in, in the Indian well, caste system, but also as a spiritual leader, leading people astray because that's the false religion they embraced. So she no doubt was praying for him, and she had witnessed witness to him. And the devil was after this guy now. The devil wanted to kill him. The devil wanted him to commit suicide because he didn't want this guy getting saved because he could really affect a lot of people. So this guy got so depressed that he finally took a gun, a Bible, and the holy book he had embraced for all his life, into a room, locked the door, and said, either I'm going to find the truth or I'm going to kill myself. Three weeks later, he came out of that room, a born-again Christian, and went on to write a book called Death of a Guru. Incredible testimony. Incredible testimony. I'm just telling you, we live in a world where we have God's truth, that got started in the Garden of Eden, by the way, the seeds of Judeo-Christianity, the truth of God, but you also have the devil. We'll talk a more about this next time, hopefully. Both of the main religions that have affected this planet started in the Garden of Eden. Judeo-Christianity, God's truth, and Hinduism, Satan's lie. And we'll talk about that uh, in the next week or two because this is all involved in what Paul's talking about but we have so many people that young people especially who have been told from the time they were just young children that the god of the bible is a superstition christians are hypocrites evolution is true you're a cosmic accident you have no purpose for life there's nothing beyond the grave you're basically a big genetic accident no wonder these kids are depressed no wonder they're killing themselves let me just end with this evolution is not true it is not true and scientists a whole lot smarter than me have come out and said it i embraced it i thought it was the truth The more I studied this, the more I really began to look at the genetics and the biology behind this belief system of evolution, I realized it was absolutely, utterly false. Couldn't have happened. So, why do so many intelligent people hang on to to it? Because they've been deceived by the devil into believing this is truth. It's not true. There is a God who created everything. And everyone. In fact, the Bible says, not only are we not an accident, guys, listen, we are God's masterpiece. You can read it on your own. Ephesians 2, verse 10, let me paraphrase it for you. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us for a purpose so that we can do all the good works God planned for our lives even before we were born. God created you. He created me. For a purpose on purpose for a purpose and he has been preparing you for that work even before you were born while you were still in your mother's womb right didn't the apostle paul say this in galatians 1:15? he was giving his testimony how how that it pleased god who i'm quoting paul separated me from my mother's womb and called me into ministry through his grace he's still in the womb well what does that mean how could god call somebody into ministry from the womb he allowed paul to be born at a specific time in human history in a specific place he was a jew his dad was a pharisee but he lived in gentile country tarsus and cilicia growing up in gentile country he learned gentile customs gentile way of thinking this completely prepared him and then eventually uh, when he was bar mitzvah he went to live in Jerusalem. He studied at the feet of one of the seven greatest Israeli uh, teachers, Gamaliel. So now here's a guy who is well-versed in Judaism, understands the Gentile culture. And when God says, Paul, it's time for you to get saved because I got work for you, he led him right to where he needed to be. Paul had a heart for his, Gentile, for his uh, Jewish brethren. But he always wound up in Gentile territory. sharing the. That's where he had most of his fruit, right? Guys, I'll end with this. Our lives are the product of God's creative genius. Whether or not we live up to our potential is up to us. But know this, you are not an accident as evolution teaches. Once again, the moral argument for the existence of God is irrefutable. And so once again, the creation declares the glory and existence of God. There's just no two ways around it. The cosmological argument, the teleological argument, and now the moral argument are three very powerful ways we know that God exists. Now, the creation doesn't tell us anything about him personally. Again, doesn't tell us his name, doesn't tell us what he's like, what he loves, what he hates, and so on. That can only come from special revelation. Creation is natural revelation special revelation is what you have in your laps tonight it's the word of god this is where god gets up close and personal with us introduces himself to us tells us his name what he loves what he hates how we can know him forever how we can live with him in his kingdom forever and so we're getting to that because it is romans is the theme is the gospel of jesus christ but before he gives us the good news which is what the word gospel means He's gonna first lay out the bad news. We are hopelessly lost, no matter how good you think you are. Sure, the pagan. Yeah, the pagan, we all know the pagans are, they're lost. They deserve to go to hell, but I'm moral. Oh, you are. Well, let me talk about Mr. Moral for a second. And then the Jew looking on says, Well, yeah, the moral guy, he's often a hypocrite. But I'm a Jew, a descendant of Abraham. I've got the word of God, the law. Oh, well, let me tell you about. The law. And so he goes on, and he finally comes to the end of this prosecution. All are guilty before God, for all have sinned and fall short of his perfect righteousness. We're all sinners. I'm pretty down, Paul. You really depressed me. Let me tell you something. Yeah, Paul's lowering us lower and lower and lower into the basement of humanity. It, all that's going to do is make when he shoots us up the more all the more glorious. Because yeah, I have no hope of ever attaining heaven in my own works, righteousness, whatever. Paul says that's true. You don't have any chance. You don't have any hope. But Jesus Christ is your hope. And so he'll get into that as we get into the end of chapter 3. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you We thank you, Lord, that you are an incredibly awesome, infinite God. And none of us are worthy to approach you or even to speak your name. We're sinners. But we thank you that you love sinners, that you sent your son to die for sinners. Our Jesus, who lived the perfect life, went to the cross to die in our place. And now if we will put our faith in him, He will come for us someday and take us to be with him forever. In the kingdom of God in heaven, we just thank you, Lord, for your incredible love. We just pray you continue to bless all these studies in this incredible book. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.